using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags, always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Hello and welcome. You're listening and possibly watching the Influence Change at Work show. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia on Blog Talk Radio and also now a video on probably YouTube and Facebook. I'm trying something new today, recording the show on video, and it'll also be uploaded to the podcast. So, uh, This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals and teams to influence change at Enclaria. You can find more episodes like this one plus additional resources to help you influence change at work at Enclaria.com. Today, my guest is Katie Salpa, who joins us from Washington, D.C. And today we will be discussing the integration of change management and knowledge management. Katie is a change practitioner who has implemented culture and technology change strategies for private, public, and nonprofit clients in the U.S. and in Europe. She has developed solutions to drive adoption for knowledge management projects using online communications, instruction design, and employee, employee engagement approaches. <laughs> uh, she also spe- specializes in agile coaching and facilitation and has enabled clients to become more agile at the team and organizational level. Outside of her professional work as practice lead at Enterprise Knowledge, LLC, Katie is a frequent speaker and writer in the agile change and knowledge management communities. She is a founding member of the Washington, D.C. chapter of the Association of Change Management Professionals as well. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So let's just start with the really basics. So when we're talking about knowledge management, what does that even mean? (laughs) That's a good question. And there's a lot of uh, controversy and disagreement around it, but at its most basic level, Knowledge management is about harnessing an organization's knowledge. So getting knowledge from people's heads, that's called tacit knowledge, to a place where it can actually be used and reused. So that's known as explicit knowledge. Um, and the way you get there is a couple of different things, technology, and then on the people's side as well. So what are some of the types of projects that you've been involved in as far as knowledge management? Sure. So on the technology side, the goal is always going to be improving the findability of content. And most people associate CAM projects with things like intranets or SharePoint or even document management systems. Um, that, that's, that's sort of the, the stereotype, and it certainly does involve a lot of work. Uh, and so an example might be uh, we work with the National Park Service, and we've built a, a common learning portal uh, for them. So all of the park rangers, we, we say at the end of the trail, are able to access uh, learning materials, whether it's video, blogs, and other types of content. And so actually building that platform, uh, in this case in uh, a WordPress technology, is, is some of the work that we do. Um, but knowledge management is also the people and process side of things. Um, So for an example, I'm currently working with an airline client to help them build a community of practice. And a community of practice is a place where some knowledge is, it's really difficult to just document it. You really have to share it amongst peers. And so it ends up being more of a community building exercise, which I think is something that uh, will be pretty familiar to to change practitioners. It's something that a lot of us do uh, kind of naturally anyway, but it's also something you see a lot in, in knowledge management practices. 
Okay. So is the point basically not even so much knowledge management, but knowledge sharing and just maintaining the expertise within the organization and helping it so that it doesn't just stay in someone's head and then they leave or just stay in somebody's head and somebody else needs it or, you know. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem that knowledge management is trying to solve. You have, on one hand, a lot of people of the baby boomer generation who are on the verge of retirement. They have a ton of knowledge and expertise that hopefully they're able to share. Um, And then on the other side of things, you have people who maybe are not staying with a company for 20 years like they used to. And so they develop knowledge even a short amount of time. How do they share that with their peers and and mentor others? So this is why there's a technology component. There's always going to be some kind of technology component. But in practice, it ends up being a a little bit more of of knowledge sharing and, and reuse. So having people actually practice using the knowledge that's been generated. Okay. So what are some of the common challenges to implementing knowledge management programs? So there's, I could go through this for, for hours, but I think the most, <laughs> the most common that, that I see uh, is, is the first one is knowledge hoarding. And this is the classic KM resistance that, that you'll see. Um, a lot of times people, especially ones who've been in a company for a long time, they've built their reputation on being an expert. And they feel like if they share some of the, the knowledge that they have, that they're going to actually lose that expert status. Uh, or potentially they'll, you know, be let go and, and someone else will come in and do the work. So uh, that's, that's one. Uh, and I think in that sense, it's working with those people individually and helping them understand the value of, of sharing their knowledge to their peers. Um, the other one that I see, which I think is more of an organizational issue, is over-reliance on technology. Uh, implementing SharePoint is not going to solve all of your knowledge management problems. No. I'm just using that as an example <laughs> because it's usually the most, uh, <laughs> the, you know, love it or, or hate it kind of platform. Um, yeah. Having people actually using the system in the way it's intended and in a way that benefits them is, is the key. So you can't just hand people technology and say, here, now share your knowledge. <laughs> There's a little more to it than that that involves, you know, not just the training piece, but helping them actually uh, design the platform in a way that's going to be more intuitive for them. Okay. So th- that first challenge that you mentioned where people are sort of hoarding information for job security uh, as one example, you know, what are some of the ways that you help people through that? Cause that's, I'm sure feels like a loss to them or feels mm-hmm. like, you know, they're giving up some kind of security. So what do you do? Yeah, there, there's a lot of different incentives that you can use either you know, at an HR level so people can implement mentorship programs. Um, the, using the communities of practice is a little bit less intimidating because it's peer learning versus your manager saying, you must document this knowledge. Um, it's also more fun. So yeah, what, nobody wants not, to be just writing down what they yeah, know, really. <laughs> right. I mean, to say you must document more to people is, is not necessarily selling it very well. So it's about really sharing the, the value that how, how it's going to make people's lives easier that they're actually working with and that they know and they trust. Um, and, you know, in some cases, people will not completely get there, but at least having people do some work shadowing or uh, something that's going to help them get to that place where they, they trust the people that they're sharing knowledge with is, is really important. Yeah. I'm sure part of it is just feeling like, you know, well, I'm the expert on this. So even if I tell them, they're still not going to be able to do it as well as I do. So, you know, having that, I'm sure is another thing that people want to hold on to. 
Well, and what we see is that once people do start to share knowledge, that they actually enhance their expert status. They don't undermine it because people are coming to them. They realize this person can help. I'm trying to do this. I'm struggling with it. And then it actually helps them a bit more, but you have to get them to start experimenting with that to get to that place. Right. I've seen that as well, where if you actually share the knowledge that you have, people see that you have it. Right. (laughs) And then come to you with questions. So that's a good point. Right. And we've even seen groups. I mean, one one classic KM technique is uh, what's called an expert finder. So giving people actual status in their organization can go a long way to making them feel pride in the knowledge that they've been able to develop. Great. So, and we were already started in on this, but what are some of the change management approaches that you use to overcome some of these challenges? Yeah, so one thing that I found uh, kind of interesting is when you're dealing with that resistance, uh, really helping people be more involved in the solution. And this is kind of where the agile background that I have comes in a bit. Um, If you're designing a knowledge portal, you know, whether it's document management system, uh, intranet, or whatever else, um, having people who are actually end users come in and, and help you understand what problems that they're facing in sharing knowledge and building the portal around that. So fitting the technology to the people um, instead of the other way around. And as an added bonus, I mean, asking people for their input and their help is a great way to get buy-in, obviously, but you actually end up with, with a tool that people can understand why it's being used. So that's a communications piece in itself. What I have not seen work very well is just you know, getting training on something that has not been tailored to people's needs. Here's how you use it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can tailor training, and that, that's, that helps a little bit more, but it's better if you can actually involve the people who are actually end users even earlier in, in that phase. Yeah, involve them in the design of it and actually fix some of their problems in the process. That's right. a great way to get people to buy into any project that you're working on. Right. And that's the technology piece. Now, the, the people and process piece gets into some, you know, behavioral norms and practices that a lot of times are more difficult to combat. Um, and I mentioned communities of practice and, and expert finders. Those things are only good if people show up. <laughs> right. So a lot of times it's going to be a matter of finding an internal sponsor or someone who's really, uh, really passionate about it and not having it be something that an external consultant does. So typically what I will do as, as an external consultant is coach somebody into that role as the leader of a community of practice or uh, the leader of a you know, expert finder functionality. And that, that has a lot more sway than, than me coming in and doing it. Even if I'm you know, an expert in change management or communities of practice, they want somebody right. who knows them, who's one of them. Right. Somebody who, yeah, they can't just say, well, you don't know because. Yeah. So you mentioned bringing in some kind of a sponsor or a leader of these communities of practice. How do you find those individuals, are they already leaders in the organization or is it someone else that you usually tap for that role? So I think there's two different things. There's, a, there's someone who would be the sponsor of a community of practice who would actually, I mean, if it has a budget, would manage that budget um, and would also provide some uh, you know, permission for people to miss their work. That's usually the way you have to present it in order to attend these informal learning sessions. On the other hand, you have somebody who's more like almost like a coordinator who is somebody who actually helps to facilitate the meetings or, uh, you know, manage any sort of listservs or technologies that they have, who's really more of a doer. 
um, the sponsor is someone who isn't necessarily going to come to those meetings, um, but they're there. If people are questioning, you know, why is my, my guy going to this meeting for two hours, you know, once a month on a Wednesday, you know, they, they can have the answer in this way to be able to say, Hey, here's the value. And, you know, basically owning the business case for why it exists. Um, if you don't have that business case, it ends up being, uh, th- there's just limits to its success. You'll have people who can't come because they're not allowed. Right. Uh, won't necessarily get the training or other types of you know, external speakers or other resources that might really make it a valuable thing for the organization. Great. So can you maybe dig into one of the, a case study that you've been working on lately and give us some more details about how this works? Sure. So uh, why don't we talk about one that I haven't mentioned yet, which is technology actually kind of combines both. Um, For the World Bank, we are creating a knowledge management system that's actually uh, mobile-based, and it's actually being used for a project Mm -hmm. called Clean India. It's called Swash Bharat, Um, and it's basically the largest water and sanitation uh, project in India right now, which is pretty exciting and impactful. Um, But basically the idea is that the technology uh, enables people who are in the field to share what's working, what isn't working uh, for actually helping people practice these water and sanitation uh, practices. Um, So it's not something that you have people in headquarters saying, here's what you should do. And here's the system that will tell you it's, we're going to connect you to each other uh, and actually, you know, have you share what's working in a way that will be more, uh, more meaningful to you because it's people who really understand you. Um, and so what we've had to do is, is think about what these users actually need. So one thing that came up is uh, internet services spotty in many places uh, in, in the field in India. So we had to create offline capabilities. Um, there's also you know, a number of different languages that people would like to communicate in. So we have, it's like three or four different languages that we had to support using the tool. Um, and these are things that we got from talking to people in the field after running workshops of what, what they actually need to use. Um, so it combines the, the technology best practices around adoption. I mean, we, we couldn't just build a desktop app and expect that they would use it, you know. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, finding out what people need, who they want to listen to, who the experts are, and connecting them in that way. Okay, so is this sort of like an internal social media system? in a sense? Yeah, so it has a lot of those same features and the look and feel. Um, it's, it's really a knowledge repository. So it, it's, people can share all sorts of things, video clips, uh, documents, uh, and, and that sort of thing. And it shows up in a feed that's, that's easy for you to use on your, on your mobile device. Um, now, social media, is, there's sort of like a Venn diagram overlap, right, of social media platforms and knowledge management platforms. Um, certainly, this this has a little bit more of a formal learning than you'd see on a traditional uh, corporate KM platform or corporate social media platform, kind of like Yammer. Um, so it's less of a social get to know each other tool and more of a practical uh, knowledge. Sure. Tool. But yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly some similarities in the look and feel. It seems like just the, the trend with social media, it would be interesting to take advantage of the principles of how, you know, getting people to turn on the mobile device and look at it and, scroll through to find what they need. Or. And I think that's why tools like Slack have been so successful because they have yeah. the ability to do all those things in one place in a very easy way. But the, the issue is with organizations, a lot of times that they have so many different competing technologies 
that it's it's really difficult to get people to use one for a particular purpose. So you'd have to have you know Slack replace everything, <laughs> or you know try to work with what you have. Yeah, uh, but that that's another you know important piece of it as well, right? Is is looking at the overall technology portfolio and from the perspective of the user. Is it a hassle for them to even access this tool? You know, if, if yeah. it is, they're not going to use it. Right. Great. So I'm curious if you've ever included any kind of gamification in a system like that, where they get points for adding their knowledge or, you know, I was just thinking that maybe that would be an application there. I've seen that more so with communities of practice, but I think certainly, you know, it's, it's something that you could easily implement for, for knowledge uh, transfer. Um, you know, I think that for portals where people are having to publish things, the gamification works a little bit better. I know that we're exploring potentially using that with the park service where we're not quite there yet. Um, or the communities of practice, a lot of times the, the community itself is a reward. Um, so there's less gamification that's needed, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly, you know, in the same space and, and has a lot of benefits. Okay. Interesting. So let's flip this a little bit because we've talked about how do you apply change management to knowledge management, but I'm curious about the flip side of that, which is how do you, how does knowledge management potentially help change management programs? Yeah. And I, I was thinking about this and you know, I think that one overlap that I see all the time is uh, change networks and communities of practice. So those groups are already kind of self-selected people who are very excited about what they're doing. Um, so at the airline client that I mentioned, we actually used uh, a community of practice, which was totally unrelated. It was basically, uh, they call themselves data geeks. <laughs> they're, they're business intelligence folks. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to implement uh, agile transformation. So they said, well, we just want to start experimenting. You know, we're, we're just going to start trying these things and then we'll share with the organization what we've learned. Uh, and, you know, we can kind of say like what works and what doesn't. And so they ended up being the early adopters, but also people who were well-respected and liked throughout the organization. Um, that's for like the, the, you know, community organizing overcoming adoption part of things. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, it, it's obviously important to understand what has happened in previous change efforts, what's been successful and hasn't. And this is kind of getting into uh, lessons learned databases, um, which are another common tactic. Um, those need to be there in order for you to leverage them as, as you know, change practitioners implementing something currently. Um, but if they don't exist, it's certainly worth, worth talking to people who've been part of other change efforts and find out what worked and what didn't. And that could be part of any sort of assessment process that, you know, or stakeholder analysis that that's in place. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's something that if you, if you have good change management or if you have good knowledge management, then change management will be easier in, in some respects. Great. So, so I'm hearing that when you're, when you have a change management project, even if it's not related to knowledge management, that, Applying communities of practice, which is one of the tools of knowledge management, is a great way to find your early adopters and get them working on the change itself. Yeah, so if let, let's say that you have a technology platform that you're implementing. You can create, instead of having a change network where people are basically PR folks, they can actually 
have a little bit of a different status, which is that they're practicing with a tool, they're sharing, you know, what they learned, what works, what doesn't, um, and they're they're actually getting to test new features. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can involve a group like that, uh, which is going to give them uh, even more input into the process, but it's also going to make them feel like they're making a difference and that they're being listened to, which is which is really important. Great. And then the second use that you mentioned was when you have change management, like having that knowledge practice, knowledge repository, where you're keeping the lessons Mm -hmm. learned from previous change management projects to make sure that you don't repeat the same mistakes, but also you remember what worked going forward. I imagine you need both of those pieces. Right. And a tool that I like to borrow from the agile world is using regular retrospectives. So rather than waiting till the end of a you know, might be multi-year project. Yeah. Uh, actually conducting uh, check-ins as you go to see what's working and what isn't. And that's something that, that you can do in your current change project, but you could also, if you have other change projects going on in your organization, you can kind of share that information between the groups and see what it, what's working and what isn't. Great. So do you have any other nuggets of wisdom that you want to use to sort of tie a bow on this conversation? <laughs> I, I think it's important to note that knowledge management isn't something that, that needs to be a big bang change. You can start, even if you're an individual change practitioner, implementing some of these practices immediately, whether that's starting an informal uh, learning group, even if you don't call it community of practice, or even if you don't call it center of excellence, you can start practicing some of these, these ideas. If there's somebody who uh, you're working with who has a ton of knowledge uh, ask them questions, you know, get them to, to feel like they are an expert because they are, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen next in the project that their expertise might be, might be helpful for. Um, knowledge management is in some ways a, a fairly academic discipline. It doesn't need to be. So you, you can take some really practical steps to get there. Great. So where can listeners find you and learn more about the intersection of knowledge management and change management? So I am a pretty active blogger. Um, you can find my blogs on enterpriseknowledge.com uh, or on Twitter. And my handle is at Katie Southpaw. Um, I also want to add a plug. If you're in, uh, anyone's in New York next week, I'm speaking at a business agility conference there. And you can find more about that at uh, businessagility2017.com. Great. Well, Katie, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening and watching the Influence Change at Work show. If you'd like to find more resources to help you influence change in your organization, including individual coaching, team workshops, and upcoming training events, please visit inclaria.com. And while you're there, sign up for the monthly newsletter and receive a free change readiness assessment to help you see if your change initiative is set up for success. Until next time, best wishes on your change initiative. Bye. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra-strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 
Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm and Hammer odor control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 